Hello and welcome to the Naval Air Podcast. My name is Mike and as usual, I'm your host. Also as usual, before we get started with today's subject matter, I'm going to issue my regular standard plea for feedback. Send me email. Go to the forums, whatever. I have there's three simple ways. Three there's three ways. I'm send an email, navalaircrew at gmail.com. That's too hard to remember. You can go to the website, www.navalair.net. In the upper right-hand corner, you'll see the email address. You can click on it. And if your computer is set up properly, it should even open up an email window for you to just type in something and click send. If you look on the over on the left-hand side, you'll see a button that says, or a link that says shows slash forum. You click on that and you can go to the forums. You can register and leave feedback there. Or you can go to iTunes. Do search for Naval Air on iTunes. I'm the only Naval Aviation podcast out there. Click on that show link and you can leave feedback there as well. And I'd really appreciate any and all feedback that anyone would be willing to leave. Some folks have sent in some feedback. Some folks have sent in suggestions. We'll get to those as the subject matter is running out. And it is. Um... This particular show, we're going to start talking about the last stop on an AW's training pipeline. And that is the Fleet Replacement Squadron. Navy calls it FRS, Fleet Replacement Squadron. Well, back in the early days of naval aviation, or in World War II times, I'm not exactly sure, the Fleet Replacement Squadron was called the Replacement Air Group. And that's, those initials are, spell out the word, RAG. So even though the Navy in my time, modern times, called it the Fleet Replacement Squadron, we just call it the RAG. So we're going to talk about the RAG today. So if you've been following along since the beginning, we started training in, well, basic training in November of 82. Our first bit of training after basic training was sent, was Pensacola, Florida, uh, January of 83, Memphis, Tennessee, Na- Naval Air Station Memphis from February to June, then to Naval Air Station North Island for SAR School, Sierra School, AW Common Core. Finished AW Common Core at the end of September, September 30th. Had the weekend off, and on October 3rd, 1983, I checked into HSL 31 as a student in the HSL 31 air crew training program, October 3rd. So that day, check in, had to move barracks one last time. The the barracks for HSL 31 and some of the fleet squadrons were in a rather nice, um, a rather nice set of barracks, but we'll talk about that later. Um, Okay. What do we want to, to do first. I think I should get the syllabus ready. I have the syllabus, believe it or not. So we'll just kind of look through it, give you an idea of what they wanted to do. Now, the the purpose of the RAG was to, at least in an AW sense, this was your final stop on training. And uh, the expected time to complete it is 16 weeks, I believe. So, you know, right around four months. And the goal here is for you to take everything you've learned so far and wrap it all up 
and apply it to the aircraft you were assigned back out of A school. So I'm here at HCL 31 Aircrew Training. I'm going to use the aircrewman skills, aircrew candidate school skills I learned. Hopefully not too many of them because most of them were based on survival <laughs> after your airplane hits the water. Uh, Sears school, hopefully not too much because, you know, no one wants to crash behind enemy lines. Search and rescue school, absolutely. There's a possibility to use those skills. AW school, how to hunt. How to hunt submarines. Search, localize, or detect. Search, detect, localize, and if so, direct and destroy enemy submarines. So I have the, the, the student handbook here. And the first page is check-in package procedure. So you fill out some forms, fill out the student data record, fill out mailroom card so they know where to send your stuff. Keep the remainder of the package. It is your student guide, and you'll need it during your course of instruction here at HSL 31. So the first page after that is the top standard form. Helicopter Anti-Submarine Squadron Light 31, Naval Air Station, North Island, San Diego, California. Air Crew Check-In Sheet. Welcome to HSL 31. You are to begin your final phase of your training before going to the fleet as an AW. Monday morning report to building 335 at 0730 for muster. This is, that's our, that was the air crew training building. It also had the weapon systems trainer, the, the flight sim in it. Uh, bring your service jacket. Let's see what else. AW rate coordinator will hold these for record keeping. At 0800, you begin your training with an in-dock class at HSL 31's FRAMP training building, building 251. FRAMP was free. Fleet Replacement Aviation Maintenance Personnel in Building 251, which is the same building the SAR School was in, the first floor, SAR School second floor, right across from Sick Bay. Okay, HC, right below HC1 SAR School in the same. Okay, see. Um, all right. This means you have to complete your checkout for Faisal Trade Group Pack, the people that taught that Sierra Common Core Friday afternoon, and check in HSL 31's duty officer before 2400 Friday. So that was Friday the 30th we checked in. And here's a check, you know, list of things. Check, do we hit the duty office? Do we hit the air crew rate coordinator, air crew leading chief petty officer, division officer? The ISD library, which is independent study. I forget what the D stood for, but the library. Air intelligence. Anyway, so the next page is the LAMPS Replacement Air Crewman Student Guide. I should scan this. I should scan this and put it on the website because it's a... Interesting little picture has a picture of air crew wings at the top, and what looks like uh, some sort of looks like a pelican with a rotor sticking out of his head, wearing headphones, holding a torpedo, and he sees a submarine. So, so uh, this begins a long list of things. Uh, the Ford, there's a Ford here. The SH2F Fleet Replacement Lamps Air Crew Training Course is based on an approved Naval Occupational Task Analysis Program, NOTAP. <laughs> the development of the SH-2F training book over a period of one and a half years at the hands of a Navy contractor team. The actual work was accomplished by Navy personnel working with a set of techniques applied and quality controlled by the contractor. Now, I'm pretty sure, see, at the same time I was doing this, I'm going to tangent here, do a little sideline. When, when we checked in at HSL 31 our class was about four guys. About four people. 
because all the way from through the training pipeline, you know, AW you know, air crew school, big class of guys, you know, not all of them are AWs. Get to AWA school, yes, we're all AWs, but we're getting split up to four platforms at that point. S3s, P3s, H3s, and H2s. When you get to SAR school, the P3 guys and S3 guys are gone. Now it's all just H3 and H2. And by the time we all went through SAR school together or whatever, we're down to four guys all going to HL31 aircrew training. The funny thing was the class, two classes just before us, the class that graduated just before we checked in, all, instead of getting sent to the fleet, to one of the fleet H2 squadrons, they all got picked up as the initial class to go through HSL 41 aircrew training. And HSL 41 was the rag for the new H60s. So I'm wondering if their aircrew guide, this thing it talked about, uh, one and a half years of the handy of hands of a Navy contractor team, that's what they were doing. They were going through and creating the syllabus that follow-on guys would eventually get. So anyway, the information provided to you in this student guide is intended to cover all aspects of your training that you'll receive while attached to this command. This manual contains all necessary information to allow you to continually track your training progress and effectively effectively prepare you for the various tests, weapon systems trainers, also called WIST, and flights to ensure successful course completion. Major emphasis is placed on basic operational techniques, performance slash performance required of the LAMPS, AW, and fleet operational units. All right, so table of contents. All right, so talks the table of contents. Security of classified material, yes. It gave you the extracts of federal laws and statutes on the security of classified material. Oh, ISD, Instructional Systems Development. These are the self-paced courses. <laughs> yes, some of this school, most of this stuff was self-paced. All right, I could read you, you know, if I was actually somewhat of a researcher <laughs> and somewhat of the kind of guy that actually did a whole lot of preparation instead of just, you know, cracking the mic and talking, I probably could have gone through this and pulled out the stuff you guys would actually want to hear. So I'm just going to kind of give highlights. All right, so instructional system development. All right, let's see. Research and behavioral sciences have yielded results that are useful to ISD. The design of alternative approaches to instruction, measurement, and evaluation procedures. <laughs> yeah, this was self-paced. Okay, in an effort... All right, so this effort has resulted in the implementation of a training course which addresses the knowledge and skills essential to the SH-2F LAMPS fleet replacement aircrew this course also differs from most Navy training in that there is a significant reduction in the number of hours devoted to traditional classroom instruction. This training course incorporates a variety of instructional techniques involved in a predetermined mix of self-study materials, practical exercises, and training flights. The HSL-31 training program requires you to play an active role in your training and to manage your own use of the individualized training materials. In essence, you are responsible for your own learning during the ISD portion of the training program. Yeah, so a self-paced. Now, all right, so there's general structure of the course. Uh, let's see. Uh, origin of the SH-2F Senso, sensor operator, Senso course. 
instructional material development training two courses have been written one for pilots one for sensor operators job analysis a task analysis student flow through the syllabus uh, i'm just trying to see if there's anything all right so there's a little flow chart here the course is broken into a sequence of units and each unit is broken into a sequence of lessons and each lesson is broken into a sequence of segments well i seem to remember that the the self-paced nature of this was very easy i also seem to remember that you had to um, you had to go through and you checked out okay how am i going to do okay let's see there is workbook segments i'm kind of jumping back here where you would um, you know you work through a task they had what they called tape slide segments where you take out a little tape audio tape put it in you know cassette tape put it in a player along with a slide projector and it would tell you next slide so you would you would listen and they would and as you would go through you would see pictures of what to do there's videotape segments you stick it in and watch the videotape um weapon systems trainer exercises which is the wist you know we did those later um and then aircraft exercises surprisingly enough the aircraft is also looked upon as a medium of instruction <laughs> so you would check out materials using and then let's see here's a student guide using attitude and questionnaires all right I'm just trying to think records kept on students wist and aircraft exercises we had a brief the flight all right here is the progress map ah Okay, so week four. What have I done for? See, here's three weeks. Here's my little checkbook of the things I've done. All right. I think this book is kind of distracting me, and I say that because usually I just kind of kick back and talk and <laughs> tell you what what I remembered, how things went, and here here I have this resource on how to actually map out the progress of how an aw got through the rag all right so i'm just kind of mix it in here because there's some things in here that are still pertinent all right an aw the a hl31 aircrew training the rag had basically two phases for an aircraft crewman there was the the utility slash rescue phase and the tactical phase now because there's some people that are assigned as air crewmen to an H2 that they only go through the the utility phase. They're, they're rescue swimmers. They only know the utility portion of the syllabus, and they go out to the fleet. Because there, there was one H2 detachment that was not anti-submarine capable. It was supporting a... a, a uh, U.S. Uh, a research it was supporting a research uh, boat. So those guys, there weren't very many of them, but they would go only through the utility slash rescue portion of the of the syllabus. But anyway, you would you would have to before you would go on a flight or do whatever. There was there was things that you had to have done. So you had to have so much. Uh, progress on the book learning in the ISD library certain 
you know, lessons completed. So I'm looking at the progress map here. In the first three weeks of your time in HSL 31 aircrew training was a workbook of introduction to lamps. And then the NATOPS manual. Remember what NATOPS, Naval Air Training Operational Procedures and Standardization. Um, flight gear items, different things, load sheets, uh, interior and exterior pre-flights, uh, the yellow sheets, which is uh, the gripe book, the maintenance book where you would, you'd have to look through before you went flying. Um, let's see. Sorry, that sort of stuff. So three weeks. And then in week four, you started the actual utility slash rescue syllabus because you would finish that before you moved on to the uh, tactical syllabus. So week four, day one, you've there's this checklist of all the workbooks and training tapes and all these different things you've gone through. And when you would look at these, you'd work through these exercises. There was, a, you know, you check this stuff out. You watch the, let's take, you know, uh, tape slide. You listen to the tape, go through the slides, breaks everything down. You take a test, you turn it in, they correct it. Okay, you pass it, you go on to the next thing. Okay. So now here we are up to week four. Week four, day one, they expect you to go through. I'm going to count here. Uh, let's see. One, two, three. Oh, excuse me. By the time you got to week four, day one, you should have gone through one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, seventeen, eighteen, nineteen, twenty, twenty-one, twenty-two, twenty-three, twenty-four, twenty-five, twenty-six lessons. Day two. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve lessons. To take your first test. It's called the Utility FAM test. Upon grading the test, your class leader for or the monitor sign on the flight schedule for debrief of the test. There's some homework. Day three. CRF zero. Which is these are the flight numbers. Crewman. Rescue FAM dash zero. It was a seminar, and then they took you down to the airplane and walked you around on the airplane. And you went through all these things. Okay, so these are all the things you learned up by week four, day one. Introduction to lamps, the light airborne multi purpose system. A NATOPS manual, how to move yourself through the NATOPS manual. Flight gear items, life draft inspection, crewman safety belt. Sorry, I'm not going to read all these. <laughs> um, Let's see, certain ground procedures, um, the before starting engine checklist, starting rotors checklist, taxing post-launch checklist, post-start ICS transmissions, um, a before landing checklist, the sensor operator's post-flight checklist, which really didn't have a whole lot to do with in the utility phase, common communication terms. So yeah, so you did all these, you took a test. Your class leader took you down to the hangar the next day and took you through an airplane. Past te- Okay, so the prerequisite, you should have finished all your ISD ground school, which is for four weeks. One For four weeks, you had the ground school. Um, passed test one and completed homework assignment one. Okay? And then after this, you have homework assignment two. And then the next day is your first flight at an H-2. And the name of the flight is CRF-1. It says right here, CRF-1 flight. Prerequisite. Successful completion of CRF-0. 
and a completion of homework assignment number two. The flight directions. This will be your first flight in the SH-2F helicopter. This is just a familiarization flight. However, there are objectives for this flight as there are, as there are for every other flight in sim, sim training periods. So it tells right here, check the flight schedule for your brief time. Now somewhere here in my big pile of crap, I have a copy of the flight schedule for that day. I managed to <laughs> be surprised as a 19-year-old kid uh, have the have the wherewithal in your brain to grab something like that and think it might might be important 20-some-odd years down the road. Do not show up in your civilian clothes or military uniform. Be in your flight suit and have all your flight gear, SAR equipment ready available to go flying. It does not mean that your flight gear be at the barracks or at home or at the aircrew shop. It does mean that your flight gear should be in your flight gear locker at the squadron and locked up with a lock. Yeah, I remember my... Any flight gear and flight gear locker found unlocked or loose will be confiscated. If your flight gear is lost, ripped off, like that, lost or ripped off. Nice American vernacular, not lost or stolen. <laughs> if your flight gear is lost or ripped off and your locker is not locked, then you will be liable for payment mm. for a new issue that flight gear items lost. So you buy a $2 lock, and if you're ripped off, it'll only cost you another $2 for another lock and some time for the paperwork to get another issue of flight gear. <laughs> Bring a flight card to the brief. This flight card is to be filled out by the instructor at the end of your flight and turned into the aircrew training petty officer in the ISD library for entry into your student file records. The instructor will be asking you questions before, during, and after your flight. If you're not prepared or fail to answer correctly the questions asked, then you'll be might be seeing the, the aircrew LCPO or even the aircrew division officer and explaining why you are not ready for your flight. These questions come from the very ISD material and required reading and homework assignments that you've been reading and studying for the past four weeks. Okay, so this is week four, day four, your first flight. Oh, so here, the next page is reviewing items. Do not show up late. Do not show up in your civilian clothes. Do not forget to bring your performance check card and lock up your flight gear. (laughs) Thought of the day. For your first flight is stupid as forever. Ignorance can be fixed. If you have any questions at any time before, during, or after any training evolution, ask it. This is one of the many responsibilities of the instructor. He is there for your training and answering questions as part of your training. So, CRF-1 from me. Okay. Well, I just so happen to have... Now, I said I had the actual schedule. I don't have... I don't know where that is, but... I do have my flight records here, my flight time summaries. And I'll tell you right now the date. I do remember that my first flight was a 6 a.m. was a 6:30 brief, so that meant an 8:30 launch. And it occurred on 18 October 1983. Wow. Today's the 19th. 24 years ago yesterday was my first flight in the H-2. I can tell you it was aircraft number 152189, and flight time was 2.9 hours. Oh, we must have had Lieutenant Commander Brown. He likes to fly extra. I do remember, though, before we did the actual CRF-1 flight, we had to do what's called a functional check flight on that aircraft. And I can't remember if the pilot was a student as well. 
I can't remember what the rules were for student pilots on check flights at the air crews training at the RAG. So I'm just going to assume that, yes, most flights had an, instru- uh, an instructor pilot, student pilot, instructor air crewman, student air crewman. See, so yeah, I did a functional check flight, which meant that the aircraft had just come out of some sort of maintenance and needed some to make sure that it was okay to fly and be put back into the rotation. So the, the instructor pilot now he had to do an extra, extra, I don't know, an extra careful pre-flight. We flew, we flew in the into into the auto rotation pattern at North Island. I did a couple of autos, you know, first flight in aircraft, I'm doing auto rotations. And I remember there, the instructor, a chief, uh, an AWC, looked over me and asked if I was getting sick. I'm like, no, I'm fine. Anyway, um, all, almost all initial flights, instructional flights, uh, went down, we went down to uh, Outlying Field, Imperial Beach, or Ream Field, I think it used to be called. It was a quick 10-minute flight down down by the border of United States and Mexico. Um, I mean, heck, there's a river that separated the farthest reaches of Imperial Beach from Mexico itself. You can see the bullfighting ring of Tijuana. Um, so we'd go down there uh, and did some stuff. I think it had to have been for the pilot because in, in the crewman fam flight, there wasn't a whole lot to do. You talk on the ICS internal communication system um, point out some things some features of the aircraft that you learned up to that point um now all right so 2.9 hours in that flight and the funny thing is i didn't fly again until oh what does it say i didn't fly again until november 7th so October 18th, which was a Tuesday, which is funny because that's not four weeks into it. So I must have burned through some of my ISD stuff. If I checked into HL31 on the 3rd of, of October and one, two weeks later, I'm ready for my first flight. I must have been smoking. I must have been kicking butt. All right. So the next flight was November 7th. So one, two, three weeks later. I guess I caught up. Time caught up with me somehow. So almost three weeks later, November 7, 8, 9, three days in a row. Let's see. 7, 8, 9, then the 14th of November, 18 November, 22. So for the month of November, I got 17 hours in the aircraft. December, wow, two flights on December 8th. <laughs> two flights. I must have one must have been a, a flight for fun. I can't imagine double pumping for training. Twenty hours in December. I flew fourteenth. I flew twice on the twenty seventh. That's got to be wrong. I remember flying on Christmas Eve. Huh. Anyway, so yeah, did lots of did some flying. One of these aircraft, I want to say, is is uh, on the midway right now. We'll check that later. All right, so we did crewman fan flight one. Okay, so next, 
Now, it says week four, day five, looking at the ISD progress map. You're supposed to do one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, a bunch of lessons on hook and hoist. Hook and hoist missions, uh, rigging the hoist, which is a hydraulic-powered hoist that you would that you would control from the cargo space in the back, and it was stuck out the side of the air, helicopter up top, and you could lower a hook to hook things to, you know, pull people out of the water with. There's a cargo hook underneath the bottom of the aircraft. We had to learn its maximum weight capabilities. Um, so we did all those things. We took a test, test number two, the hook and hoist test. And then after that, week five, day one, was your CRF two. The prerequisite of CRF two was completion of CRF one. I don't remember doing a CRF two which is another fam flight, I guess, if you did a poor job. The third the third test was on helicopter in-flight refueling, also called HIFER. Um, I don't remember. We didn't, we didn't do any. I didn't do my first actual HIFER until I was on, I was on deployment. Um, and then there's a seminar, uh, the Hook and Hoist and HIFER seminar. Which they probably take you, if I remember correctly, they take you down to an aircraft again. Ah, CRH one flight crewman rescue slash utility hook and hoist. So prerequisite: successful completion of hook and hoist seminar, passed test two and three, and completed homework assignment number five. So you, you're getting a sense here that this is very structured, very broken down. That you flip through these things, you 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 uh, check these things off. You take tests. You read the you read the stuff. Uh, now here we are, week six, day one. Now we're learning how to deploy a swimmer, how to use a hoist to return a swimmer. Smokes using smokes, uh, marine marker smokes. Um, let's see what else. That sort of stuff. Utility and swimmer and ordnance. Oh. You know, smokes are considered ordnance, by the way. Smoke is a... There's there was two kinds of smokes we had available to us. One that would burn for 15 minutes and one that would burn for like 45 minutes. And there were like tubes, metal tubes. You drop them in the water and they were water activated. Salt water got on them. They would burn. Um, at night, you would just see them as a flare floating in the water. In the daytime, you'd see smoke coming off of them. And you use smokes to mark where you found a survivor floating in the water or in the tactical phase, you'd use smokes to mark where you would, you had a magnetic contact of a submarine. So you could, you know, if you're getting magnetic contacts of a submarine, you punch out a smoke every time you get one, you could see the trail in the water smokes and kind of get an idea of the direction the submarine's going. All right. So test four is utility swimmer and ordnance. Uh, then was your CRH two flight. Successful completion of the Heifer and Hook and Hoist seminars, past three and four, and CRH one flight. And then required reading and homework assignment number eight. Okay, so more more stuff, more utility phase. Overwater and ordnance. There's a note here that ordnance training may also consist of attending HSL 31 FRAMP two-day course on ordnance system and associated ordnance. I don't remember doing that. Hyper flight, CRH3, the hyper flight is optional. 
This flight may or not may or may not be flown depending on the available personnel, aircraft, and weather. Well, we didn't fly a hyper flight. Week seven, day one, NATOPS open book test. You took two tests, NATOPS tests. The open book was very detail oriented. The question, you, the, you know, the question would be asked, and you would have to go flip through that book to find the answer. And because the book was open, the the tests, the questions would be very, or the answers to the questions would be. Uh, Ah, what's the term I want? Very buried there, buried deep in the NATOPS manual. So, uh, <laughs> anyway, so, I mean, some crazy stuff. All right, so here, NATOPS Open Book Utility. Go to the ISD librarian and check out the Open Book Utility NATOPS examination. Now, at this point, after week seven, day one, you're expected to be finished with the utility portion of the syllabus. We've done hook and hoist, um, Maybe I should do a better description of hook and hoist flights. All right. We would do a hook and hoist flight is using the hook on the bottom of the aircraft and a hoist. So on the hook portion, we would go down to, we'd fly down to Imperial Beach. The helicopter would land. Us crewmen, because there's, I remember one of them, there's three of us, an instructor and two air crewmen, we'd get out on the pad and off to the side of the pad were these metal chunks that weighed like 500 pounds and the instructor would guide the helicopter in and they would hook up one of these and they had a a, what's called a pendant on them and they'd hook a pendant up to the bottom of the helicopter and they'd lift up and fly around so the helicopter pilot would have experience practice flying with a load slung under his aircraft. We on the would be on the ground issuing flight director signals on how to bring the helicopter in, lower the load, let the load go, take off, fly around, come back, and then guide them in, hover while someone runs under the aircraft and hooks the load up. I have a snapshot of yours truly standing underneath a hovering H2 hooking up a 500-pound load of metal block for the helicopter to then lift up and fly around. Because there's, there's, there's considerations of the load swinging in the wind. There's considerations of uh, if the load's too much, you know, what to do if the, if the hook won't release, what to do if the hook won't catch, all kinds of little things. So we did, I, I want to say we did two of those flights. We did two, they're called rocks and blocks. The blocks being what's being carried, the rocks being the students. <laughs> Um, and the, and there was, you know, different hand signals you had to learn. We all took turns guiding the helicopter. We took turns running underneath the helicopter, hooking the stuff up. Um, hoist training. We'd also go down to Imperial beach, but we'd hover over the pads. Cause there was, there was five practice hovering pads, helicopter pads at Imperial beach. And each one had a different pattern, flight pattern around the field. But you, you you go to these hover pads or these practice pads and you practice, you know, they practice hovering. But we would practice, well, uh, you know, a rescue evolution would go into it. We'd, we'd pretend the pad had a survivor on it. And we'd be hanging out the the door looking and say, okay, survivor's four, you know, uh, is, you know, dead ahead so far, you know, 300 yards. The, the radio, the communication calls would be, 
It's Fiverr in sight, 12 o'clock, 300 yards, easy forward. It's Fiverr at 12 o'clock, 100 yards, easy forward, 50 yards, easy forward, 25 yards, easy forward. And, and as you, you know, her, uh, Survivor directly below, you know, hover. And at that point, you'd, you'd be, you know, hover good, hoist going down. Hoist quarter of the way down. Good hover. You know, you'd while the hoist is going down, you're looking around making sure that the pilot's not giving him extra inputs to make sure he's still doing a good hover. You know, good hover, hoist halfway down, good hover. Hoist three quarters of the way down, good hover. Hoist in the water because we're simulating we're in the water. Survivor swimming to hoist. Survivor hooking up to hoist. And then you start bringing the hoist up and you'd say, wait coming on the aircraft now, now, now. And your time, your third now as the guy's leaving the water. Uh, survivor, three quarters of the way up, good hover, halfway up, good hover. Uh, survivor in the door, survivor in the aircraft, survivor secured. Um, everything's, you know, everything checks out for forward flight. And then they would fly around and we do it again. So that's the hoist portion. And everyone would get a turn. Um, we'd also have to practice hoisting with now while we're doing this we have a pistol grip in our hand that has a little button on top that makes the hoist go up and down and a trigger to turn the ICS on and off. So you'd say, you know, as you as you'd say your ho- you know, hoist going down, you squeeze the trigger, let go. Now, if there's an electrical failure, there was a hydraulic there was hydraulic buttons uh, underneath the soundproofing that you could make the hoist go up and down. And so you'd have to practice pushing these buttons with one hand because your your right hand is controlling the hoist and the trigger for the communications, and your left hand is holding on to the hoist cable, guiding it up and down. Then you'd have to simulate the the, elect- the electrical control of the hoist had failed, and you'd have to use the actual hydraulic these buttons. You push the button one button, and the hoist would go down. Push the other button, the hoist would go up. And there are actually valves in the hydraulic system that controlled the hoist. So now, okay, an instructor says, okay, we've got an f- electric failure. You have to use, you know, notify the pilot that the electric, that the controllers failed and you have to use hydraulics. So you'd give your call, uh, hoist failed, have to use going to hydraulics. And so, okay, then you have to do the whole thing again. <laughs> hoist, coated down, good hover, but you're pushing, you know, again, you're leaning out the door of the helicopter, but now you're pushing these buttons that uh, were not exactly easy to push buttons on valves with hydraulic pressure in them and then the other thing that they would practice if your communications would go out and then there was a a a set set of hand signals where you'd push on the shoulder or pull on the shoulder of the pilot at control to tell them that you wanted to go forward or wanted to go backwards or drift you know hover left and right to center yourself over the survivor in the water so we did we probably did that over the space of these three flights which is probably why we did three flights seven you know three days in a row because there's really a lot of stuff to do in the hook portion and the hoist portion practicing you know swimmer deployment practicing smoke deployment practicing slinging loads underneath the helicopter things like that so once you finish that utility portion you're going to take a nate tops exam on the utility portion of the aircraft all right, so I'm going to read to you what it says here. It says, go to the library and check out the open book NATOPS exam. You have two working days to complete this open book exam. 
two working days. So that should give you an idea how in-depth the response, how deep in the book the answers are to these questions. At the end of the second or the beginning of the third day, Wednesday, turn into the ISA library open book exam even if you are not done. You must, however, pass this examination if you are a 82 double X, which is an, uh, a Navy, uh, NEC, Navy, Navy enlisted code. Um, those are for, those are the utility guys. Those are the guys that would go to these research boats. At the completion of the overwater flight phase, you'll be graduating from HSL 31. For the 78 XXs, which was us, me, 7871, you will continue to go on to your, in your training, entering the ASW training phase. So, Week 7, Day 2 was a CRW-1 flight. Uh, it's an overwater seminar, completion of all ISD ground school, homework assignment, CRH-2. All right, so Week 7, Day 3, turn in your book. And, and again, um, turn in your thing if you're done, even if you're not done. For those who think this exam is not important enough to pass, just be ready to explain to the Academic Review Board why. <laughs> this is only one of two open book NATOPS exams for the 7871s that you'll be required to pass if you are to graduate from HSL 31. If you're an 8215, this is the only book you'll have to do. Okay, so CRW2 flight and overwater. So if I want to, if I remember correctly, the overwater flights, we would go do these hook, uh, we would do, we'd practice more search and rescue with the hook and ho- the hook anyway over, over water. We'd actually put a smoke in the water and fly an approach pattern to the smoke as if it was a survivor and go through that whole rescue scenario. Now, End of week seven, day five, you are to turn in your utility notebook into the ISD. Check out the closed book NATOPS examination. You have only two hours to complete this exam. Upon completing, turn it back in. Uh, if you do not receive a passing score, then you'll be retaking the exam again after debriefing with a NATOPS petty officer. He will issue the exec- second exam for you to take. Failure to pass the second exam will result in an academic review board. All right. At the end of all these, we had the FAM flights, one. We had hook and hoist flights, three, if I remember. A couple of overwater flights. After that, you have what's called CRE1, Crewman Utility Evaluation. This is your utility NATOPS check flight, okay, where you go fly, and they ask you questions, and they test your knowledge on the aircraft, and they test your knowledge on systems, and they test your knowledge on the things you've learned so far. We do a, you do a hook and hoist bit. We do you know, ask questions on the hyfer. They ask questions on deploying a rescue swimmer. All that stuff. And if you pass that, you move on to the next phase. And here it says: For eighty two fifteens, after the successful completion of your open and closed book NATOPS exams and the CRE one utility NATOPS check flight, you will start your checking out transfer from HSL thirty one aircrew training. Okay, you'll be completing an evaluation for this course. Please be truthful. We want good points as well as the bad points. Okay, for the 7871s, your, you too will be completing an evaluation comment sheet for your training. Uh, please make better, this combination make better. This will only help your fellow shipmates. After successful completion of your open and closed book NATOPS exams and your CRE1 utility NATOPS check flight, you'll begin in your next phase of your training ASW. Anti-submarine warfare, which is really what we're all about at that point. You'll be required to perform from time to time during the next training phase items 
that you have learned during the utility phase. So do not forget you have learned during the past eight weeks or even think that you'll not have to again perform tasks such as hyper or overwater drops, jumps, etc. Oh, now, check out, check out your notebook. You turn in your non-tactical notebook. Now, all these things. Here's some of the things that you're going to learn. Um, how to use the LN66 search radar. Turning it on. Radar control, radar display control. How to determine a high-speed contact, moving contacts, airborne contacts, land masses, all kinds of radar items. ICS terms during radar run-ins, radar ECM logs, troubleshooting the LN66 radar system, things like that. So test five, radar. You check out the book. You've done all these, these things. You take the test. A radar seminar. There's a TACNAV, which is tactical navigation, which is a little little like in-flight computer that kind of kept track of things. It was very, very rudimentary. CRF-1. Actually, it should have been CTR, CTF-1. A radar flight. Yeah, CTR-1. <laughs> radar flight. Crewman tactical phase radar. So now we're going through radar flights. We have three radar flights. Let me tell you, you learned to work that thing like nobody's business. You had to learn all the switchology. You had to learn radar range wings, rings, how to use them correctly, uh, how to do and uh, find your ship, how to find your way home, all kinds of things. The next phase was magnetic anomaly. How to how to you mad theory? We got went over mad theory again. How to set up the 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 mad system inside the aircraft how to use the recorder, how to fix the recorder, what to do when things fail, what happens because uh, the MAD is a is a, a little thing that's towed behind the aircraft. It's stored. It's on a 250-foot reel. You fly around. They'd stream it out. And, uh, you know, what to do if it doesn't come back, what to do if it only comes back so far, all kinds of stuff. So now here we are, CTM-1 MAD flight. Now some of these tactical flights... Let's go back to radar. Um, there's there's three required radar flights. There's a fourth one that's optional. Some of these flights were done in the simulator. Because at that point, you know, you're using the gear. It doesn't, care, it doesn't matter if you're using the gear inside a simulator or inside an actual flying H2. It's actually easier for them to demonstrate a high-speed air contact because the instructor can punch it up on the control panel, punch up uh, an aircraft and make it move really fast. And you can see it moving on your radar. Same thing for MADs. You probably we would do some MAD flights. Some of them would probably be in the simulator, maybe one in the aircraft. Here we are, week 11, day 3. Now we're talking about sauna buoys. How to deploy sauna buoys, how to use the, the range finder, the sauna buoy range finder, the ASA-26. Um, boy, we do sauna buoy sound processing. <clears throat> CTS one, crewman tactical sauna buoys. Um, CTS two flights. Um, again, probably some in the simulator, some in the aircraft. Probably mostly in the simulator because it's easier to simulate punching out a sauna buoy. A sauna buoy in the water sending information back to your station and the aircraft 
than it is to actually deploy sauna buoys that just for training. So I'm sure some of those, most of those went in, in the sim. Now, after all this is done, we start getting into the combined tactics where you learn how to use MAD, radar, and sauna buoys all together. CTT1, and also probably in the sim, also some in the aircraft. Did we do any flying at night? I'm going to have to check the book here. Do we do any night flying at HSL 31? Because I don't remember any off the top of my head, but that doesn't mean it didn't occur. So let me look. Flight time summaries. Night, night. Uh, yes, I did. we did do some flying at night. So some of these tactics flights could have been at night. Here, 18 January, 5.1 hours, all at night. Wow. So yeah, I remember doing some of these tactics flights at night. All right, then we did some of part of the tactics was photo rigging. We learned how to photo rig. Photo rigging means you take one, one, two, three, four, five, six, like six, six photo, 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 six photos of a ship. That's what photo rigging was. You've come across a ship in the ocean. You photo rig it. Take six, six pictures at, at particular angles. Bow on, quarter bow, full side, quarter stern, stern, and overhead. And when you did this in the fleet, you'd take it back to the intelligence weenies. And they would process the film and say, oh, yeah, you photographed the oiler or, you know, um, a cargo ship. Well, yeah, I could tell it was a cargo ship, but they had a book and they'd tell you exactly who built it and what it did and all that stuff. Okay. At week 15, day one, you are checking out your open book, NATOPS exam for ASW. Again, two days. If you do not receive a passing score, the NATOPS Petty Officer will brief you and do another one. Oh, here, yeah, ACC1 flight, all combined. Okay, that's week 15, day two. Week 15, day three, closed book, two hours. Don't fail. We know what happens when you fail. So here's some ACC flights, which is all combined, all, all air crew combined. So that's utility, hook hoist, it's tactics, MAD, radar, sauna buoys, sonar. Let's see. AC3, Nate, the ACC3, your NATOPS check flight. Completion of both the open and closed NATOPS exams and the ACC2 flight. Week 16, day two, check out. Well, guess what? <laughs> Now, here's some things that are the mission of the ARASW that are generally, I might actually have to, um, if this stuff isn't, if this stuff isn't uh, classified, I might have to scan this and put this out to see, because it talks about the Soviet submarine force, ARASW targets, advances in submarine warfare, these are all just different tactics. Wow, this is lots of stuff. Alright, let's see what there's anything else in this book. Hey! Here's my homework assignments <laughs> at the back of the book. Here's an example. Homework assignment number one. Utilizing your NATOPS flight manual, read page 2-1 through 2-4 and all of chapter 5 and 9-7 through 9-12. 
After reading all assigned pages, answer the following questions. After answering all the below questions, turn in these answers to the highest state library for grading. What is the difference between qualifying and currency requirements for the helicopter ASW-ASST sensor operator? What should be the crewman's response when faced with the immediate ditching situation? Why should you attend the brief for any flight that you're scheduled for? After, when performing LSE duties, what should you wear? After launching, what should you do first? <laughs> Homework assignment two. When you're transferring three passengers from a carrier to another destroyer, how many life rafts must you carry? Ah, that's six. <laughs> One for each person aircraft. Can any aircrewman or passenger operate the pocket radios without approval of pilot? No. Who's responsible for briefing, briefing passengers and transporting a large troop contingent? The aircrewman. So anyway, here's some home, all these homework assignments. Very interesting. I wonder if these are D-class now because the Navy doesn't fly H-2s anymore. And the fact that this is 24 friggin' years old. Interesting. Homework assignment number 23. Utilizing your student guide, read pages 106 through 124. That's all this submarine, that's all this uh, uh, Air ASW stuff, yep. Why has USSR versus USA assessments indicate that the USR, USSR is ahead of the USA in the balance of strategic power? Notice this is Cold War. This is Soviet Union versus the United States. <laughs> what is CAPTOR? How does the deployment cycle compare between USSR and USA? Very interesting. What was the design of the SALT 1 and 2 agreements in regards to USSR strategic forces? Yeah, we might have to actually post these on the web because this is this might be an interesting look back into how the the Navy worked. All right, so that was the syllabus for HSL 31 aircrew training. Notice how I didn't get any kind of opportunity or time to discuss the life. I really only discussed one flight in depth, um, what it was like to fly. I haven't even discussed my feelings and experiences of flying, the general attitude, some of my colleagues at the time. Um, but since we're running up on an hour here, I think I'm going to have to save that for the next time. I had an idea that you know a 16-week course where you wrapped up all your all your stuff into one would take more than one podcast to go through. But you got the high level. Well, you got an idea of the things they wanted you to le- us to learn as an air crewman. The stuff we had to do. Um, I think next time we're going to talk about the life of a student, other than. Other than the book learning, I'm gonna actually talk more about some more about the flying, some of the pilots, some of the nicknames the pilots had, some nicknames some of the aircrew dudes had, what we would do, the setup of the school, the actual library, things we did, and just general thoughts and and uh, recollections of my time at HSL 31 aircrew training, like duty sections and who had to answer the phone when and and uh, who had phone duty, I, just just things like that. Some of the, uh, talk about some of the instructors that we had. I also talk about how much stash time. Uh, I want to say I finished up HSL 31 aircrew training in February, and I didn't get, I didn't get orders to transfer to my squadron until, um, oh, shoot, March, April? So, 
yeah, there's a we'll have to go over that too. What we did on stash time and things like that, because that's plenty of fodder for uh, another show. All right, so we're gonna wrap up. We're going to oh, I'm going to make another plea for feedback. The email address navalaircrew at gmail.com go to the website www.navalair.net you can find my podcast on iTunes leave feedback there also if feedback's not your thing maybe you want to send me some suggestions of things to talk about send me your stories of naval aviation um, my my stuff this is my this is the 7th show I've probably got 3 or 4 more about my experiences that I'm that I think anybody might remotely find interesting. After that, I'm going to need some other folk stories to tell uh, what it was like for them, what what they did, because I don't, you know, I only have a clear picture of my community and what I did. So, if there's anybody else out there that wants to contribute some contribute some of their stories of their time in naval aviation, please, please, you know, send it to me because I want this to be about naval aviation as a whole. Not just my little piece of it, and I don't want it to be just about me, okay? So, all right, I think that's going to do it for today. Uh, This is your host, Mike, and I'm asking you to stay safe, and God bless. God bless.